Hi, welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and ask us. Well, the greater the strength, the more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. Project Podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by Prost, Exercise for Prostate Cancer Incorporated, a not-for-profit charity set up in 2012 by myself, Dr. Joe Miller. You want to know any more information about Prost, including our online service now available, please just go to prost.com.au. Prost means cheers to your health, so Prost to you. For a second and listen, it's not silent at all. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Milios, and I'm so excited this week to present to you Associate Professor Craig Allingham. Craig and I met several years ago, and together we have worked really hard to try and increase awareness of prostate cancer in our physiotherapy profession. Craig is a very broad educator, a wonderful man, and an inspiration to me. So it is of great delight that we share all things Craig Allingham. In today's episode, we're covering this in November, but as Craig says, why should every month not be about men's health? So we'll continue that conversation and I hope you enjoy one of Australia's top professionals on so many levels. Over to you, Craig. It's a joy to spend time with you. Welcome to our last podcast in November. So although we might be recording in November, it's really important that we continue the conversation into December. Today, we're going to be having a a chat with Associate Professor Craig Allingham. Craig Allingham is a colleague of mine. He's a physiotherapist. He's a men's health expert. And together we teach uh, physiotherapists and allied health professionals what we do in men's health. Now, I had the privilege of meeting um, Craig approximately six years ago, and it was basically through a link with Bettina Arndt, believe it or not. And Bettina Arndt is a renowned um, sexologist or sex therapist and psychologist, and um, it was just a chance meeting, really. Craig was in Perth and we had lunch and we struck up a conversation. We continued to chat and we were chatting as recently as... Uh, just this weekend where we did online course together to international physiotherapists. So what I'm going to do is ask Craig just a couple of questions about his career firstly and how he got into men's health. So Craig, tell us all about, first of all, your experience and role as a physiotherapist and how it led to men's health. Over to you. I will certainly tell you that. But first of all, I want to just point out you are exactly right. This is a Movember presentation, but men's health doesn't take a holiday for the other 11 months. So this is as current in April and June and February as it is in Movember. So, yes, and and all power to you girls for putting this together. That's brilliant. So that's enough about you. Let's talk about me. (laughs) Yeah, it's all about you. (laughs) 
I have been a physiotherapist since about 19, no, no, about 1432, really, sometimes it seems, <laughs> quite some time, and, and I have loved it. It has been just the best profession uh, that I've enjoyed all the way through. And I was very fortunate in my timing to, to arrive in the profession where you were free to, to think and create and invent and, and innovate and, and learn by trial and error and by whatever else. And so for the first part of my career, I did that and I moved into, uh, got particularly interested, as do many of the young physios then and now, into sports physiotherapy. Fortunately, sports physiotherapy had not yet been invented, um, so I couldn't <laughs> that do that. Like a familiar ring to me, not yes. yet invented. Not yet invented. So I, I went off and studied post, after I finished my physio degree, I went and did a, another qualification in sports science, which was as close as I could get and proved to be remarkably fortuitous because instead of being trained again by physiotherapists, I was trained by exercise scientists and exercise ah, physiologists and, I did and, the same and psychologists and, and a whole bunch of, of thinkers that weren't blinkered by what I'd been trained in. Yeah. So this opened me up to the concept of physiotherapists do not know everything. In fact, we know a very narrow band of, of stuff, but we know it very well. So I was able to bring sports science into my professional practice uh, and that led one thing to another and, and I became uh, involved with Baseball Australia. It was the first national sport that I worked with and became the sports science and medicine coordinator for about 17 years. That's uh, so massive. That That's a big commitment, 17 years. And it was Thanksgiving um, Day in the USA yesterday, so it's timely you talk about baseball. Oh, yes, yes, yes. America is known for their baseball. They call it the national game. Um, and if they leave it everywhere they go, you know, every time there's a war and they leave some soldiers behind, that country now plays baseball. For example, the Netherlands are really good at baseball. South Korea and Japan love baseball. So, yes. Right, yep. And so the playbook is a bit of a link to baseball, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Yes. So moving anyway, on, you had the opportunity... You know, and that, and that led to other issues and other opportunities and ended up um, taking it to a very high level with Olympic game representation in the Australian team for four Olympic games from 1988. Craig, four Olympic games. Can you just tell us what years they were? Were they this century or last yeah. century? They were last century, just touching <laughs> on the curve. How dare you? Um, 1988 was the first one in Seoul um, and then... Uh, just, just so you know, that was the year Joe and I left school. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're 1988. <laughs> yes. And then on to Barcelona, Atlanta, and finishing up in Sydney. Um, wow. And then that was that was huge, uh, a big part of my career. And and I'd had enough. I'd mm. had enough of elite sports people who basically are well, some of the least healthy people you could ever meet, but certainly the most self-absorbed population you could ever hope to work for and yeah. they, they accept what you do with great gratitude but they'll never actually acknowledge it um, and they certainly don't want to pay for it um, wow. so I said I'm done with men's health uh, with, with sports physiotherapy and it correlated in this transition time in fact before the Sydney Olympics about uh, that was in when did we start September so two months a month probably six weeks before the start of the the, the Sydney Olympics 
my father passed away from prostate cancer. Well, oh, not from prostate yeah. cancer, but from a brain cancer, which was a metastasis of a prostate cancer. So more accurately, he died from prostate cancer in his brain. Um, so, and that timing and that trauma and, you know, of course, being a male, I put all that aside, all the grieving, all the sorrow, all the whatever, because I had a job to do. I had to look after, you know, Olympic athletes. So I had to push that to the side. And it wasn't until after the games um, that I sort of had a chance to catch my breath and talk mm. to family and, and realised I'm done with this. Um, there are more important things in life than sport and I need to take my skill set somewhere else. And it was obviously that was the driving force that moved me towards. So, um, Greg, that was sport. 2000, the year 2000. Yes. And so we're 20 years on. I myself got involved with men's health in 2005. And so I'm really curious when you began, because it sounds like you were there right on the bell of the millennium. Well, definitely, yes, definitely in that, in that two, 2000 years. So 2001, I started to start to learn, learn the ropes. And there was nowhere to go to learn it. I had done. Again, strange, strange academic career. Uh, I'd done a graduate certificate at the uh, at Curtin University uh, on, on in men's health um, back in 1996, I think, 97, somewhere there, a did few you, years before. That was the pre-digital online era. So, did you come to Perth in 1996? Oh, it's it's even more sad than that. It was done like correspondence school. Oh, yes. I remember that. I studied in 1996 yes. and they sent me a big booklet that was all bound and I was very excited to get it from the post office and then I had to fill things out and send it back at Curtin University. Exactly. You had to write papers and mail them across and it was all very pre-digital. You're exactly right. Um, you know, the internet had barely barely got to everyone's office by then. So, But, but it was, again, nothing to do with physical men's health and everything to do with the psychosocial aspects of men's health. Because that was so who was teaching you? Was it psychologists? Well, yes, sociologists, behavioural scientists, um, yeah, no physios. Uh, and so it was nothing about continence, nothing about muscles, nothing about disease, but everything about how men navigate their way through through the healthy part, well, ill health, their lives, how they recognise that. So it was, again, nothing, a whole new field of study to me, a whole new... It did sexual thinking. function come up? Erectile dysfunction. Do you remember? Oh, boom, boom! I just said, did it come up? Um, <laughs> did it? You've got to let that one go. But um, no, no, it wasn't. Wasn't about the specifics of disease. It was. A, it was big picture, holistic, um, society-wide, population health, indigenous male health, whole lot of special populations here. What was your aim at that time, Craig? Did you go into that course hoping to learn physical skills or was it psychological? Well, curiosity, um, but this, this was long before my dad. My dad was diagnosed and he was under treatment, so that was the prompt to find out more about it, but it proved not to be very useful for his situation. Um, mm. But it did form, you know, filed all that away, passed the course, got a qualification, all very nice. Um, didn't use it uh, until after the Sydney Olympics, moved into men's health, and I was able to, to take a different view. I, I remember clearly being at a, a national meeting of the what was then the Women's Health Special Interest Group uh, in, uh, of the Physiotherapy Association in Australia when they were talking about, and I can't remember the year, but it, it was a while back, maybe eight years ago, talking this about 
how do we bring men's health into women's pelvic health study? Where, where does it fit in the APA special group system? Mm-hmm. And and I was listening to these these old women uh, talking about um, where men's health, where they could work with men's health, what men's health would be, and it was very much pelvic focused because that's that was their women's health perspective. And after listening to this discussion for a while, I stood up and said, well, hang on, men's health, you're, all you're talking about is, is erectile function and continence. There's, there's a lot of other organs in a man that comprise men's health. Uh, and if you're going to take a very narrow view of just pelvic men's health, well, you need to call it that or drop the men's health completely because you're missing the holistic aspect of, of, of mm, men's health. holistic word, yep. Yeah, and... To some extent, they got that, and uh, it slowed down the proceedings for a while of integrating the two fields. But um, so you were responsible not, for yeah. the, uh, there was a discussion, and and you sort of said let's make it broader, and they really didn't know how to kind of manage that pathway no, after that. Really, or? I didn't really get it. I'm not even sure that women's health physiotherapists with doing their women's health work get their head out of the pelvis that frequently either. Um, because that's the nature of a specialization. You focus mm. on one thing and, and you really, really do. You, you, you blink it down and, uh, but you know, everything, you know, cervical cancer, you know, post, uh, postnatal recovery, pelvic uh, health issues for women through life are totally integrated with the health of the rest of the body and the mind. And mm. to just tackle them on their own will be frustrating. And I, and I think there's been a lot of progress more recently in in that stuff that's going on Australia. Sorry to interrupt there. Just before I go any further, I'm thinking back to Pauline Tirelli, who I met in Brisbane in 2011 when I went to meet Peter Dornan. There's so many wonderful Queenslanders involved in um, physiotherapy and Pauline basically said men's health is 30 years behind women's health in 2011. What are your thoughts on that now? Well. She's talking men's pelvic health, mm. and she should have said that. Men's health has always been around. Um, now, the, what she probably meant is men are not vocal enough about demanding health care for their gender-specific issues, uh, but she didn't say that either. Uh, you know, if I see a man with who's, who's injured his back at work digging ditches as, a, as an apprentice plumber, it's a men's health issue. He's a man, he's got a health problem. Okay, so it's men's health. Um, by definition, it's not men's pelvic health, but we're done close. It's in his low back. Uh, so I, I'm just, and I do get a bit riled. riled so up, how did you change your practice then to address these issues? Oh, thank you, Melissa. You're exactly right. I, I worked out that men don't share. They don't share information about their health slash illnesses slash disabilities slash challenges and, and worries and anxieties unless you do two things. One you spend some time making them feel safe in the therapeutic environment, and then you specifically ask. And until you get those two working together, you're gonna be working in the dark because men will not burden you with something they really don't think is any of your business or your interest uh, until you demonstrate that you actually enjoy their company and and accept them as a human and then ask the question. Um, And be quite specific, yes. Uh, and, and Joe's heard me say this before, but when, when, when you have a new male patient for whatever condition in the physio clinic, 
part of the clinical interview is to ask him about his general health, everything not related to the reason he's turned up. How's your general health? Is there any medical issues I need to be aware of? And universally, they first response is, fine, thanks. Good. Yep, I'm great. Yep, just the knee. Thank you. Just the back, just the shoulder, whatever it is they've come in for. Um, and it's not until they feel safer, having had one or two discussions, visits with you, and started to see that you're you know, you're an astute professional who can deliver good results. Um, but they start, oh, by the way, I meant to tell you about my, you know, my cardiac event I had three years ago and the stent they put in, or, the, you know, I'm a type 2 diabetic. No, I don't. You didn't tell me when I asked you about your general health. But I don't see those issues as health-related or illness-related so much as just something that is them. And until somebody specifically said, okay, tell me about your health issues, are you on any medication for anything? Do you have to watch your diet for any particular reason? Um, so then once you get to the more specific questions, the, the information comes flowing. It may be relevant, it may not be, but it's all part of managing the man. That's, I find that really interesting because when we I studied nursing, you know, however many years ago, we had to do these practice assessments where you had a patient and then you had to go through their whole body from head to toe and ask them all these questions. And I always remember feeling really awkward as a 20-year-old asking about their sexual health and saying to my lecturers, why on earth am I asking them about their penis or their vagina when they've come in with a headache, you know? And now as a, you know, many years down the track, I completely understand and I'm saying to those same 20-year-old students, no, it actually does matter. So it is important because the stuff you can find out about someone, you know, in that environment is so important and can often help the problem or give you clues about what you're trying to fix about some completely different part of the body. So... Well, and certainly in men's health, uh, as we well know, that uh, you know, penis dysfunction, erectile dysfunction, is often a result of cardiovascular changes uh, in, in the blood vessels, so insufficient blood flow to the penis due to atherosclerosis or cholesterol plaques building up in the penile arteries, insufficient blood flow, inability to trap, no turgidity, no function, no, no rumpy pumpy. That's it. Uh, so it <laughs> Craig and I would sit on the weekend, and if he said rumpy pumpy, I burst into giggles, and it was very entertaining. Now, on that point, I really want to share a case study, and that is when I was doing my trial for Peronius disease, I had one patient attend, and he was about to get married for the second time, and he was wanted to make sure his penis was functional for his wedding night. It was his second marriage because his first wife had died of cancer three years earlier. He just happened to marry, be marrying for a second time his wife's best friend, and she'd set them up. Um, he, because his wife had been unwell with cancer for a few years, um, they never got to have children. Um, but the best friend came along with two sons. Now, this lovely man, we got his penis sort of sorted in terms of improving the curvature and function with just the ultrasound study. And he was part of my trial to determine whether or not we could do a non-invasive sort of approach. Now, long story short is one day he came in and said he had a bit of chest pain. And I said to him, his name's Greg and his wife doesn't mean me talking about, Greg, you've got to get that chest pain looked into. Hard health and your erectile function and your cardiovascular system are so interconnected. And off he went, off to the doctor. The next Saturday, he didn't arrive for his appointment. He missed it. So I left a message, no answer. But the following Saturday, because he had three sessions in a row booked for the ultrasound therapy, a lady was sitting in the waiting room and it was actually his wife with Greg's vacuum pump. 
she said, Joe, I didn't know what to tell you or how to tell you. Greg didn't make it. He ran off the road, had a massive heart attack two days later. And I always devote my presentations to Greg's story. And um, it was a case of he had early warning signs. We know from research that there's a three-year, three-and-a-half-year window when men notice penile blood flow changes and a potential cardiac event. So I'm just butting in there because it's about life and it's about being aware of what's going on. And as we talked about in our course over the weekend, Craig, females do have that monthly cycle so they can check in with themselves, check in with their sisters, girlfriends and go and seek help. But that's not what men have in their biology. So, you know, it's important. So in their biology and in their socialisation of how they transition from boy to man. So tell us about socialisation. How do do men socialise, Craig, from two women? Um, (laughs) Well, men men have something that the Western Australian men, um, sorry, Australian men in Western society or elsewhere, have a currency that they transfer between themselves called man points. Man points are the, the constructs of masculinity, the stereotypical constructs of masculinity, which include, there's about five or six of them, but they would include things like um, uh, risk-taking behaviours, um, muscularity, uh, prowess at, at athletic and sporting type activities. So um, uh, mental, resi- um, um, mental resilience, uh, more of a, uh, a devil-may-care attitude towards their own health. You know? In terms of yeah, let's let's downscale that. I'm not that not going to talk about it because really, who cares? Um, and <laughs> and and what they will do when they get together in a group of men or even a mixed group, but when the men are interacting, is they will transfer these man points between each other. They will tell each other feats of courage and daring do, or they will um, offer to drive home when they're completely drunk or stoned, uh, their bunch of mates from the pub, or they will recklessly dive into sporting dangerous positions to you know, retrieve the ball or make a tackle or you know, have a fight yeah. or something because that gives them man points. Okay, and and uh, and so and and you can spend your man points without actually losing your man points. That is a brilliant thing. <laughs> is this only your... real money work like this? Uh, um, Greg, but they will they will give feedback. They will, they will get nods and grunts and various other you know in deep masculine type communication behaviour that will acknowledge that yes, I'm giving you a man point for that. And uh, so they're, reinfor- they're they're constantly topping up and reinforcing their their concept of masculinity based on unhealthy behaviours. This so, is the transition from boy to man. And it, and it will keep going into their mid-30s to 40s and then eventually they come to their senses or, as some say, grow up and uh, and take a more rational look at, actually, some of these behaviours are uh, not only potentially dangerous, but they're harming my career prospects, they're damaging my relationship with my partner or children. They, uh, um, I've lost mates to it, and that's a bit of a, a wake-up call. Uh, so the, they, they, they come around eventually, but a lot of damage is done to men's health status before they fully grow up because the, the, the male brain doesn't fully form until about, at least the age of 27, and, and for some it takes a bit longer again. Uh, and so a lot of the damage, whether it's erectile dysfunction, whether it's prostate cancer, laying down the foundations, is, is done in the early years, before they're symptomatic, before they even think, before, not only before they're symptomatic, before they even know such conditions exist. And, and you could say the same for respiratory disease with smoking and, and bowel cancer with, with food intake. It's true. 
these are slow developing conditions of DNA mutation and, and the immune system knocking it on the head and then eventually the immune system can't cope and the, 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 the tumors get away, etc. And the end result being uh, the bloke eventually gets sick and it's a complete surprise to him because last week he was well. And this yeah. week he's sick and how can you get so crook in a week? It's bizarre. Right. Um, I'm, I'm going to just say, Melissa, I know, is silent tonight, and that's very rare. She's totally absorbing everything, and she's like, oh, my God, like I can tell because we know each other pretty well by now, uh, sitting in the podcast booth. We're going to move on now to prostate cancer, and okay. you're the publisher, the writer, you're the everything of two books, and I use your two books daily in my clinic. In fact, I order 100 books at a time. Every single man I meet who's diagnosed with prostate cancer gets your first publication, the Prostate Recovery Map, and then your second one, the Prostate Playbook, is, is part of their ongoing care. Can, I'd like you to give us a wrap about your books, just right. for the record, too. Uh, I love them yeah. as well. They're great. Oh, that's lovely. They, they, first, the most important thing, they're skinny. Men will not read a long book about healthcare if it relates to them. They say they will, but they probably won't. Um, this is a, a simple read. We're talking 64 pages in, in the prostate recovery map. I wrote this as a result of uh, probably 12 years of treating men following their prostate cancer treatments. I mean, no, you know, there's no physio cannot treat prostate cancer. We, we get that. Uh, but we treat we this do the mopping up, the preparation, the mopping up. I exactly. We we make the surgeons look good. That's our job. Uh, hey. Or the radiation <laughs> oncologists. We come in after the fact and 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 as you say, clean up the mess uh, literally. So our job is to treat the symptoms or the the, the side effects of the treatment uh, for those men who are unfortunate enough to get them. And the two main ones are, uh, or the three main ones, but the two major ones are, are incontinence after prostate cancer. Uh, prostate removal um, and and uh, erectile dysfunction, and then to a lesser extent, but not not to be overlooked, uh, pelvic pain, chronic pelvic pain, uh, following that, which can be related to the other two as well. So, the so I realised in my area, I'm on the Sunshine Coast here in Queensland. No man were doing any of this work up here. Peter Dornan, who I've known for many years from our sports physio days, I knew he was doing something down in Brisbane, so I talked to him and he gave me a bit of a clue as to which way to go. And I just started asking urologists in town, to, you know, any blokes who are having trouble, ask the GPs I knew, send them around, we'll give it a try. Um, you I'll do no harm. I'm willing to give it a crack. We'll do no harm and we've got nothing to lose because I, I just... I didn't have any specific training like we're giving Joe to these these uh, new physios now, but I knew sports science and I knew there was skeletal muscle involved and mm -hmm. I know how to rehab muscle. And it's mm -hmm. just a new new rehab plan for a different sort of muscle with a different sort of Same dysfunction. Principles. And yeah, yes. I'm going to let Melissa's begging to ask a question now. I just oh, want to know how did you come up with your plan? Like when not, when it hadn't been done before, how did, what did you, what made you think, what am I going to do next? How am I going to help these people? All right. Well, that's it. And as I said, it was trial there and it's still evolving. This, this plan, this is now in its third edition and there are still tweaking going along as I find things that work better, more consistently with different men. But it's uh, essentially, uh, how do we stop them leaking at rest? Well, they need to have good slow twitch muscle control. So we're going to devise an exercise that one, they can locate the muscle 
and feel it when it's working and not working because they can't see it. It's all internal. I mean, if you're doing arm curls or shoulder raises, yeah, something's moving. You can watch in a mirror and, and see the weights going up and down. You know you're executing correctly, but these are internal exercises that the guys have nothing to see. So it's all about the sensation. And, and little do they know, they don't even know they have a pelvic floor as well to start off with. Well, exactly. We've got to no. help them find the muscle and the sensation of actually recruiting it. And once they get that, it's like the light goes on. They say, well, holy moly, I didn't know I had a muscle down there. Um, and now we teach them what to do with that muscle and how to train it. So training, first of all, with, with slow, long holds. And when they get a certain mastery of that, which is aimed at stopping the, the gradual leaks, leaking at rest, then we say, okay, now you've still got problems when you get out of the chair or you cough or you sneeze or you move quickly or you pick up your grandchildren or you're working in the garden, swinging a we golf club, whatever, whatever you might do that's a higher load. We need to get the fast twitch muscle fibers going and train them. And they require specific types of training stimulus to optimize the gains for those different muscle cells within the same muscle. And uh, so I just took what we've been doing for, with shoulders and legs and, and thrower's arms you know, with the baseball for, for you know, 30 years with them. Um, for example, look, throwers, elite baseballers. Here's the thing, Jay, I haven't told you this, but... Um, with rotator cuff problems, uh, shoulder muscle problems, they can throw a ball, you know, 130, 140 k's an hour. They can they can bench press and 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 overhead press, you know, 30, 40, 50 kilos. They're immensely strong and powerful upper limb athletes. Right. But throughout their entire career, we give them pink dumbbells. One <laughs> One, one and two kilo dumbbells and they do dead slow rotator cuff exercises because the power work they do does not keep their slow twitch muscle fibers adequately trained. They have to do low intensity work as well. And it drives them berserk, but it keeps them injury free. So we just took that science and said, not your rotator cuff, it's your pelvic floor, same principle, switch it across. So they stay on these slow, long, slow holds, rapid recruitment exercises, switch on, switch off, long holds in the middle, um, and just developed a, a training program. And it worked. It worked for the guys who were coming through. Some were good at it quickly. Some took a bit longer. Some never responded. And that happens across all conditions. Yep. But And then, for, sorry, Craig, can I yeah. just interrupt there? So from that, yeah. you must have then come up with talking to all these men when you were doing that that you also needed to make other changes like that you've done in the playbook such as lifestyle and diet exactly. and all those things exactly so so yeah the, the 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 prostate recovery map is for men who've had treatment and now have side effects and that's it so no man is going to be interested in that book until he, he's incontinent until he needs it then then it's his best friend um, and that will walk him through the five stages from from the simple we find it and which muscle how to get it going right through to to level five, which is quite a, a, a more challenging exercise workout that will tax his pelvic floor control under different loads. It's a standalone product if they can't get to a men's health physio, but it works a lot better if they're seeing a, a continence professional at the same time, because it answers their questions that they were too slow or too shy to ask. And it gives them a framework to hang the information they're getting from their continence okay, professional. Craig, I might interrupt. And even Stephen Fry has said on your front cover, a jolly useful read. So Doesn't that just did, sound like Stephen? How, yeah. how did Stephen Fry get to read your book? Stephen Fry had his prostate removed uh, about four or five years ago. And I read it somewhere in the literature, in the newspaper, in the press or something. And I thought, he needs a book. So I, 
I found his uh, contact details for his PA and I sent him a book with a letter. And I said, Stephen, you've given me a huge amount of uh, uh, entertainment over the years. Here's my repayment to you. This is a book that will help get you through the next, uh, next couple of years. And I got a message back. He said, mm. lots of things, one of which was a jolly useful read. Um, so that was the second edition he got, and he's since received the third edition. But I believe he's caught on it, so, uh, so that's good. Of course he is. Uh, so, Craig, yes. back to the point that you made about people who live, you know, they might not be able to go to a men's health physio, and there's a lot of those in WA because we have the tyranny of distance, and I do some country clinics, so I know these men in these various areas just do not have access to people like you and Joe. Is this book something that they could take to their local physio and say, Absolutely. This is my problem, and can you help me with yes, this? Definitely, and and their physio will, if if the physio has a look at the book and has a, they'll say, yeah, I get this, I get this, because they understand the anatomy and they understand that what I'm talking about, the exercises, and they can help bridge the connection to what's on page to what is on on there. I, I also have some uh, some uh, YouTube videos that go with the book as well, so there's there's they get to look at me standing in front of a screen with some diagrams talking them through the exercises and the different set stages as well, the bit of anatomy. So I try and give them more value than just the book. But, yes, using it with a, with a physio, wherever they might be, will be an advantage, yes. On, on that book, Craig, on the back cover, I, I really have said to my patients always, and I'm quoting it now, I'm happy to put my name to this. Oh, and you've even put Dr Joan now. That's really nice. I've said <laughs> this book will be the best investment you make during your experience with prostate cancer. And I firmly believe that because how much is the book, Craig? Uh, 50, well, $14.95. Yes, $14.95. It's, it's available online, but it's also available through any bookshop in Australia, but they don't all stock it on the shelf. If you go to the health section, there's lots of stuff on women's health, very few books on men's health because men do not go to bookshops to buy men's health books. Uh, so I've, ones looked, up, I've looked in the shelf for men's health books and the only book I ever see is yours in a bookshop. And oh, I was going like to yeah. write a book when I finished my studies. That was my plan. But along came your book. And I want to quote the reason why I bought your book for all my patients. It's just on page 20 and it's all about the correct pelvic floor muscle action. And it says simply, I'll quote, the front ones, not the back ones. It is more important to lift your testicles than to stop a fart. <laughs> They are both important, but in terms of your bladder control, the front muscles of your pelvic floor must be activated to improve consonants. Now, those simple words, like I think there's 22 odd words in that sentence, um, lift your testicles, you know, rather than stop your butt. That was what sold me on your book. Now, I do have a bit of a sense of humour, but men love it. Men love that you're speaking their language. I don't need to write a book. I can't get man points. I'm a female. So... Yes. This book you is great. Yeah, yeah no, there's, and and uh, it it looks a simple book, but yeah, to write it in man speak so that that men of an age, you know, because this is an older older man's disease at the moment, we're getting younger ones, but you know, we're talking about blokes who are 55, 60 uh, years old. To read a health book about their dick is a huge leap. Um, yes, they've had a few indignities; they're a bit over the first barriers, but. Um, but to talk in the way they understand and would talk to each other at the pub or, or the bowls club or on the golf course, um, that's really important because that's the message that they have. I, I can say whatever I like, but if they're not receiving it, I've wasted my time. Yeah. Can I just ask one quick question? How do yeah. Joe and I learn man speak? 
Oh, um, well, the, the book will help, but um, Melissa's to be an authentic man speaker, it's going to be tricky, yes. Um, and you have to acknowledge that you have other skills. Okay, no and I've also here. found that yes. different age men seem to have different man speak, you know, oh, like of course. And, and different, right. things, different things. <laughs> yes, yes, that's true. And, and, and it evolves through life. Painting Percy to the porcelain, I didn't know about that until last week. Did you not? Oh, that's a, that's a classic, yes. Yes, or you could paint Alfred the aluminium. aluminium. <laughs> what Olympic games you watched? <laughs> um, I've got a Melissa asked you earlier, but in the, in our conversation, it didn't quite uh, evolve that way. The prostate playbook. Now, for yeah. for for me, I introduce that to men who are diagnosed and work with me to start talking, to give this book to their sons, to share it with their mates. It's for men on active surveillance, but I also think it's important for men after prostate cancer therapy to know all the lifestyle and behavioural things they can do to minimise the risk of their PSA rising because we can never say your, your, P, your prostate cancer is cured forever. So the Prostate Playbook was only published in June. Or, well, I know we did the, the launch of it in um, Perth, West Australia. I'm delighted to do Perth, that. Yes. So yes. tell us a bit more about the playbook. All right. This, is, this is came about because the proponents of active surveillance, which is uh, repeated measuring of the PSA or MRIs for men who have a low volume, low aggression of prostate cancer, rather than going diving straight into active treatment, removal or radiation, the, the proponents of that, who are medical specialists, were really good on the surveillance, but really crap on active. And the, when I came back from a conference in Boston, I wanted to put the active into active surveillance. I wanted the men to have some control and, and empowerment of how to, as it says on the book, how to slow, prevent and sabotage their prostate cancer. Mm. And it, they can't, I'll never guarantee they're curing it, but they can slow it, they can prevent it if they haven't already got it, and they can sabotage it uh, by taking away its... its uh, it's nutritional drivers it's, um, uh, that, that can all cancer cells will have. So it's, it's not, I haven't reinvented the wheel here, but I've taken specific prostate-related research and packaged it into three interventions. The uh, throughput, which is how they think about their cancer. So a lot of education on the fact that cancer, and I, I do a bit despair, I must say, it's only me fighting a personal battle here, funny I should use that word, men think they're in a war. They think they're in a fight with cancer. And you see that on the prostate support forums all the time. Uh, yeah, he's yeah, in a battle yeah. with, he's got a battle here, he's lost his battle with, I'm um, going to fight this thing. And it's all very aggression and masculine and, you know, I'm in a war here. Wars are not fun. Nobody wins a war. Um, and if you're in a fight, there's going to be a loser. And mm. prostate cancer is a very patient warrior. It will exhaust you. It will deplete your resources and, and, and damp down your immune system so it gets an advantage. So prostate cancer, I tell them, you're not in a war with anything. You have got prostate cancer cells. They don't hate you. You're not being punished for anything you've done in an earlier life. Try and get the emotion out of that so that it's just now a sabotage. It's not a war. It's it's a guerrilla movement and you're going to sneak around the back of that prostate cancer and cut its legs out from under it. Right. Uh, and I, because 
it just burns up too much energy fighting. It's just, I see them and they get exhausted. And, I've been uh, recommending this book to my patients as the survivorship book. It's yes, kind of like it how to improve your survivor. I like that. The survivorship yeah. book, that's what I think. And and it is it's bloody difficult. These guys have just had the biggest health scare of their life. They're stressed. Their relationships are stressed. Their kids are stressed. They've got work stress and financial stress. It's, it's the worst time in, in their lives to say, you need to change how you eat. You need to change how you exercise. You need to change how you think about your health. And, you know, their resources are pretty exactly. depleted already. But we've kept it fairly simple in the book and say, so just start with one thing. So, Craig. Tell us about your books and your YouTube videos. So I'm hoping that you're going to send us the YouTube video links and we'll put them in the show notes for our listeners. And where can they buy your book and how do they get one? Okay, good. Well, as I said, both, both books are available in bookshops around Australia and New Zealand, but you may have to request them uh, to, to get them sent in, which will save the shipping cost. The book, uh, the, the publishers will distribute that. Um, so you need to know the names of the books, the Prostate Playbook and the Prostate Recovery Map, the name of the author, which is Craig Allingham, and the name of the publisher, which is Red Sock, R-E-D-S-O-K. So if you can provide that to the bookshop, uh, they should be able to track down through their distributors where they can uh, access it. Failing that, you can get them online and you can get them at um, prostaterecoverymap.com or prostateplaybook.com. So there's a website for each of those. Uh, click through on the links to purchase and if you have any trouble you can always email the uh, the, the, the admin system there to to follow that up so they're all uh, available easily we are supplying uh, around australia new zealand and internationally out of australia we don't have any oh yes we've got a distributor in in the us but not yet in the uk but, so uh, craig if i bought some books off you could i sell them through my website as well to my patients is that possible? Oh, of course you could, yes. Once you've bought them, they're yours to do what you like with, yes. yes. Great. Um, well, I'll do that too. I'll get some copies and I'll put this. So any of my patients listening can buy them from me as well if they want to. So you can buy them through there. And, and, yes, they are a – I see them in, in physio clinics in, in their waiting areas and their, their stock display areas. They have, they have books on, my on urologists the shop. have them. So I've given each of my urologists have them. So I just give – I give them to my urologist so they know what program I'll be doing and, and they always say that the – their, their urologist actually recommended as well. Um, also, I include it in my first consultation fee. So it's like an add-in value. I like to give men a product they can walk away with. So as a physiotherapist, I buy them in bulk and it's, you know, it's a little fee for me to buy them, but then I add it into my consult and they love walking away with a product. I give my patients a product to walk away with too, but it's usually an erection. If <laughs> Listen, they limp out of the room. No, right. that, <laughs> a needle for an erection. You don't do that. The, the, um, if they buy, and, and, and an individual buys one page full rate, but a practitioner who wants to, to stock, if they buy 10 books, they get a 30% discount. So they can sell them in the clinic. And you're, have, very, have you're very generous. And it, as I said, it's yeah. really good. Yeah, cool. and then we can even give them away. So that's great. Thank you. That's wonderful. And now, now what about the YouTubes? How the YouTubes. Um, I'll probably need to send you the links for that to uh rather than because they're full of long letters and not much but the i mean the, the references to the youtubes are in the book uh, the map book um so that when they get to a certain part of the text they can say the video that applies to this this is the address but uh, i'll send you through the youtube channel details to uh, to chase them up 
Great. And just on a personal note, I had the wonderful opportunity to do our first online course with you just on the weekend. And we had 32 physiotherapists from around the world join us for 10 hours of interactive learning. It was probably one of my career highlights, Greg, to work oh, with you. Fun. And, um, you know, I've produced a little bit of research, but you're, you know, the man on the street and, and, I always talk about that, but your your lived experience yourself, because your dad went through something, and I know that a lot of the playbooks probably written for yourself in lots of ways. You 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 had a personal interest in making sure you were going to minimise your own um, potential prostate cancer, because we know that it's you know potentially. And, and my four boys, yes, and and my grandson, boys. yes. Right. So that's what this is. This this the Penis Project podcast. And all things P and men's health is all about breaking down the barriers, having the conversation. And we've continued talking a little bit longer than we anticipated, Craig, because your value is extraordinary. And I'm really oh, well, well, I'm happy to come back again. Okay. It's a prevalent privilege to work with you. We, we um, together have done some courses over the years with um, some colleagues, Stuart Baptist and Peter Dawn, and, and you and me have just teamed up this time. We aim to do more courses for health professionals. And is there anything you'd like to expand on that? Because rather than me talk about that. Well, certainly. And um, there's, yes, we've, we've had to go online because of the, the, the 2020 uh, pandemic, um, but that's proved to be quite doable. So I suspect we, because of, you know, we're 3,000 kilometres apart, it's, yeah, it's yeah. difficult to get us together. So we, we may explore some more online options and and develop a library of, of courses that uh, practitioners can can download and, and you know purchase to uh, do their professional development at, at a time that suits them. Yes. Mm. So we called this one managing the Martians. Initially, we were mastering the Martians. But if anyone wants to look into either of you know the the courses or the future, where should they go to look look for those? Uh, look for those. They can look at um, craigallingham.com. So my home website will uh, have the schedule of events there and links through to registration or purchase yeah, for whatever products are currently on, on available, yes. Okay, I'm going to ask you a serious question now, just to make okay. it easier for people to access it, or just say there's a man listening, he wants his physiotherapist to do one of his courses, one of our courses. How do you spell your name, Craig? If you could okay. just spell it out, because it's hard to you know pick up sometimes okay. from... All right, Craig, C-R-A-I-G. Allingham, A-L-L-I-N-G-H-A-M. Thank you. Craig Allingham, yes. Allingham. Okay, now, Craig, I'm going to just let Melissa have a bit of a wrap here because uh, I know you pretty well, but Melissa's just got to meet you this afternoon. Yes. So, Craig, we just want to say thank you so much for all your information. It was great and it was lovely for me to meet you for the first time and hopefully we'll get to speak to you again in the future and hopefully we'll get lots more men getting their pelvic floor and their holistic health happening. Well, that's great. And good on you guys with the, the, the pelvis, uh, sorry, the, the penis project. Yes, that's good. You no, know, it's a hard word to say. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I don't know why it should be. Lots good. of man um, points when you say the word <laughs> penis. Penis. Yes. Okay, we're gonna, we want you to say it three times and then we're over it out. <laughs> penis, 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 penis. Well done. Excellent. <laughs> okay. Thanks heaps, Craig. Really appreciate it. All right, you take care. Um, all right, and you're not confusing it with uh, the the Monty Python sketch in the life of Brian of Biggest Dickus, are you? Biggest Dickus. Oh! <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> it's funny that you should say this because my husband and I, this is not going to be in the podcast, my husband and I have a boat and we've just renamed it Not the Messiah. <laughs> I think we've got to keep it in the podcast, Melissa. Why not? Why keep secrets? This is and because he is definitely not the Messiah. He is a naughty boy. Okay. Very naughty boy. Yes. Yeah, that's right. And that's a top, that's another podcast. <laughs> I love Monty Python. But you know the sad thing is Python, P Python, P for Python. I played Monty Python movie for my children a few years ago. They're now like 23 and 20. And neither of them laughed. They didn't get any of the humour. Oh, I right. thought it was hilarious. I was what, so disappointed. What, what, what poor excuses for human beings you're raising. <laughs> I know. I clearly failed as a parent. Well, did I? So, I actually got downloaded. I tried to download off Netflix just two nights ago, The Life of Brian. I couldn't get it. I, I oh, don't no. know where it is. It's not on YouTube or anything. And, so. and by the way, Python is a slang term for a penis amongst men. Is it? The python. I knew the that. Python. There's another there's an there's another man point. This, this is why you're good at this, Greg. You're just scoring man points. <laughs> All right, we we better go let you get back to your yeah, you get home to your family. It's a good idea. Yeah. All right. Well thanks again and we've All had right, a great time. And let me know when this one goes up on the on the the, uh, the podcast. Yeah. Yep, we will do. We'll share it widely. Thank thanks, okay, Greg. Brilliant. Okay, bye. bye. Gonna tell you about a Dr. Joe here. Thanks so much for listening and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We aim to release one podcast per fortnight, so please keep in touch so you know when new podcasts are being released. Also, be sure to check out the show notes below so that we can all keep the conversation going. Along for that light of warm afternoons, campfires and bugs. Smoking bark in a cubby up a tree